On this episode of Sessions, we chat with Drew Shannon from Style Hall about executing on strategy when it comes to video, establishing ad spend for your video content, and the effectiveness of using influencers in the YouTube realm. Hey there, and welcome to Sessions, a podcast presented by Matt Black, the creators behind the Shapeshift Report. I'm Micah Hickoop, the Director of Strategy and Culture here at Matt Black, and I'm here today with my good friend Drew Shannon, who is the Senior Vice President of Network and Business Operations at Style Hall. Drew, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks so much for uh, thanks so much for having me. No, man. Thanks for being here. So three quick fire questions, but they don't have to be quick answers, just to get to know you first. Sure. Currently, what are you streaming on Netflix? Um, I am watching two different things on Netflix right now. The first is I'm slowly but surely going through West Wing. Uh, my girlfriend's a big West Wing fan, and I never watched it before, so I'm I'm going through that, still on season one. And I'm also watching the newest season of Transparent on Amazon. So if you had to compare West Wing, which was... 90s or was it? I think it was. I think it was mid to late 90s. Yeah, with modern television, how's it? How's it hold up? I'm. It, it holds up surprisingly well. Um, it's definitely it's Aaron got, Sorkin, though. Right? Yep, yeah, it's Aaron Sorkin, so it's similar to uh, Newsroom. Um, it, you know, there are some things like internet is still kind of a novelty in the show sometimes, uh, but uh, it's surprisingly prescient when it comes to big issues of the of uh, of today. So. I've never watched. I need. I need to. It's really good. I'm, I'm loving it. Yeah. Okay. So, second question: What's your pet peeve? My pet peeve is uh, people who are late. I, I I try to be at least five minutes early for anything, and I'd rather be two hours early than ten minutes late. So, uh, punctuality is a big thing. For me. No, listeners, note that Drew was 15 minutes early for his his call time and brought coffee. So. Props to that. Okay, and last, your childhood crush. Yeah, uh, childhood crush would have been uh, Clarissa from Clarissa Explains It All. Whoa! When I first saw that question, I thought he was going to go. You like? I was like, oh, they want him to go back to like third grade. You're like Jenny, whoever, third grade. I was in love with her forever. But Clarissa tells. I don't know if I could go that far back when it comes to like girls I went to school with or girls. Yeah, that'd be hard. But I think Clarissa tells it all. I was. I, I think I was really in love with Mia Hamm at like the height of uh, U.S. women's national soccer team fame. So that was like my that was definitely my childhood crush. And that would have been like when they won the World Cup. Was, no, in, that was the only way I knew who she was. Was that ninety six, ninety nine? No, ninety six because they're on even years. Okay, so ninety six or ninety eight. But we digress. Um, cool, well, man. Let's let's dive into it. I obviously you work at Style Hall, amazing network, and we're gonna get there, but. First, I think we can just state the obvious. Like it's 2017, and we can officially agree that it's a video-first world for brands. So, I mean, any like any kind of initial thought on brands including it in strategy? Like you see it every single day. Are you guys expecting 2017 to be bigger than ever as far as like YouTube creators and the amount of content that's going out? Yeah, I mean, the thing that folks in the digital video space, online video space have been saying for years now is that when it comes to the money, you know, a lot of times it's follow the money. And for a long time, they've been saying, you know, these big advertisers are shifting their budgets away from TV ads and and buying digital ads, whatever that kind of means. For a long time, that's continuing to happen. 
Um, you know, obviously, you know, Micah, you and I have our iPhones out right now, which which can create uh, videos as high quality as as you know, two hundred fifty thousand dollar cameras would twenty years ago. So the barrier to entry is like lower and lower, and anybody, for the most part, um, not just here in the states, but but worldwide, can can shoot video uh, and get it out into the world. We've got crazy distribution platforms: Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all of you know, you know, international companies as well. Um, so it's easier than ever to shoot video. More money is flowing there. Um, There's more places to put it. Yeah, more places to put it now. More places to watch it. Um, with all of these new subscription services, um, and obviously video is is great. It's the full sight, sound, motion of uh, of of storytelling. Mm-hmm. So it makes total sense that brands are are putting money behind and putting time and effort into either creating videos themselves or or you know hiring companies like Stylehall or others to to create video content for them. Um, it, it totally makes sense, and it's going to be, uh, you know, live video is is the big thing I think for this year. Um, so so video, no signs of slowing down, that's for sure. Yeah, we had the question this morning: Do we know is YouTube going to do any? Do they have any live functionality right now? Or are they going to do live functionality? Yeah. So they've. My understanding is they've got a little bit of live functionality now, um, but they will this year have make it easier for folks to 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 uh, stream live. I know that in an upcoming YouTube app on, on mobile devices, they're going to make it super easy, like one button to go live. Um, I don't, I think it remains to be seen whether they're a little late to the game or whether people want to watch live video on YouTube. Technically couldn't, weren't you doing Google Hangouts and then people could watch it through YouTube? Like you could broadcast Google Hangouts. So they have done live, but I remember at Tom's, we did a Google Hangout that we were broadcasting and they literally brought, three Google reps to do it. Like I'm at like that's what four years ago, that's what live took. It took like and then we were interviewing somebody in New York and there's a Google rep with that person in New York. And then you could watch it on YouTube or Google Hangouts or whatever. But that's like and now it's just like on every app we have you can broadcast live. Yeah, I think YouTube, you know, was probably a little early to the game, at least when it comes to the basic technology behind live video. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if they were maybe a little late to the game when it comes to the consumer-facing stuff, whether it's totally Facebook Live now is a big thing, Instagram Live, um, all that. So, yeah. so I mean, we can digress to YouTube because that that's really what we're going to focus on. It changed your career in a big way. Um, so can you tell us a bit about Full Screen, which is the, the company you started with, I mean, who they are and, and what you did for them? Yeah, so to, to set it up a little bit, uh, you know, I lived in New York for a couple years after college, worked in the music business for a few years, kind of bumming around the city, doing digital marketing and PR, worked for a big record label, worked for a small boutique creative agency, um, and after about four years in, in the music business and four years in New York, I was ready for a change. Uh, my parents actually live in, in Orange County, California, so I was looking to make the move out west and um, came across through some uh, mutual friends and business contacts, this company called Full Screen, um, which is one of the early, uh, but not the first, one of the early, though, um, YouTube MCNs, and MCN standing for multi-channel network. Um, and met the folks there, met, uh, met the two kind of guys who were running the show, George and Ezra. Uh, and in my previous life, when I lived in New York, I, I had a short stint at Mindshare, 
one of the big one of the big media agencies. And uh, George and Ezra liked that background of mine, and I got hired at Full Screen. And um, actually, you know, their office was probably half a mile from where you and I are sitting right now in in Culver City, and. Got a job doing business development there, which, you know, it was a company of between 50 and 60 people at that time, all crammed in one room, total startup vibe. And, and you know, as is pretty common in situations like that, my, you know, role changed and morphed and transformed pretty quickly. And then I found myself doing um, media strategy, ad operations, kind of building a team, building and running the sort of um, media media operations campaign execution team so, at full screen. Really quick, can we dig into that a little bit more? Because so full screen has a um, if you if you kind of dig into what it means to be a multi-channel network, what what's that mean? So then you can all say like what are the ad units that that you guys were managing? Sure. So the closest analogy I like to make with with YouTube MCNs or the, the concept of MCNs is um, the closest analogy with with um, and maybe younger fans of yours may not may not get this analogy, but it's very similar to like the music record business. Um, YouTube MCNs are these large companies that essentially sign deals with, uh, in the case of Full Screen and other YouTube MCNs, people who are making YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. So they will join our network, and it's an exclusive relationship, uh, kind of like a manager agent relationship. And we do a couple things for them. So the typical business model um, is, you know, these YouTubers or these these video content creators will give up a portion of their YouTube ad revenue. So folks may not know that if you have a YouTube channel, um, all of the ads that that run on your channel, you can actually make money from that. Mm-hmm. So YouTube is actually really unique still in this in the case that they're one of the only platforms where you can make money for creating content. Right? Twitter is not necessarily writing checks right now. Uh, for people who are creating content. But anybody, whether you've got five fans or five million fans, can make money on YouTube. Um, and so what these MCNs do is they take a small percentage of that ad revenue, and in exchange, they they provide sort of tools and services to help those channels and those content creators either grow their channel, make more money uh, through selling ads, uh, certainly introduce them to brands for the for the purposes of these large sort of brand deals, endorsement deals. Um, and so, you know, full screen is, is one of the big MCNs. Yeah. Other ones that people may be familiar with are, are broadband TV, maker studios, awesomeness TV. Um, there are a bunch of them now. Yeah. And you guys were really servicing them in a big way where you would maybe have a partner like Ford and then you would, you would work with Ford to create a video either with those creators or that was just going to run on the pre-roll of your top talent. Right. So, I mean, that's like, it's massive for them, especially if you you came up on YouTube, I mean, off the strength of a vlog or off the strength of your kind of personality, but you weren't in the world of brand, especially if you didn't live in LA, right? Where you just run into brands in New York, where you run into brands all the time. That was That's a huge service for them. So then you've now transitioned to Style Hall. Um, and can you briefly describe describe them, I guess, in relation to full screen and now what your role shifted into as well? Sure, sure. So, so full screen... Um, was a great company, and I, as I mentioned a second ago, I, I started there. I think when it was between fifty and sixty people, really exciting. Um, you know, as they say in the startup world, we we experienced like hockey stick growth. Um, the company eventually got acquired by a company called Otter Media, 
which was a joint venture between uh, the Chernin Group and AT&T. Super exciting. Um, and I was at full screen for, uh, oh boy, what was it? Almost four years. Um, and by the time I left, it was 300 employees. I think I looked a couple weeks ago and now they're close to 600 employees. Um, That's wild. so it's like, a and, and you know, that, that 600 includes a couple companies that they've acquired. Um, but I, I, I mentioned all that only to say that, um, you know, after a couple of years of full screen, I was, I was looking to do something a little bit different. Um, and kind of go back, in a sense, to that that small, scrappy uh, startup sort of vibe. Um, and that's what led me to Style Hall. And I've been at Style Hall now almost two years. Um, and if full screen, again, going back to the record company analogy, is sort of like an Atlantic Records that represents uh, artists from all sizes and genres, you know, full screen has, you know, verticals for parenting and sports and comedy and gaming and fashion, uh, they kind of, you know, to give a little bit of context, full screen represents somewhere between 50 and 100,000 YouTube creators. Um, Yikes. Yeah, it's huge, um, which, which has a lot of benefits um, because they have the resources to really invest in their, in their creators and, and they do a great job over there. Um, Style Hall, on the other hand, we're, we're much sort of more of a boutique uh, company and as as the name Style Hall kind of uh, suggests, it's it's mostly focused on sort of beauty, fashion, women's lifestyle, um, and we're more in the five thousand to six thousand YouTube channel. So we're we're a tenth the size of a company like Full Screen uh, Maker Studios is another huge one, sort of the size of Full Screen. So we're we're much more focused. Um, which which has its pluses and minuses, mm-hmm. um, but you know whereas full screen now has six hundred or seven hundred employees, style hall we're, we're much smaller at at like a hundred or so. Yeah, but being I, I imagine being that focused gives you the opportunity one to really uh, kind of know what brands you're going after as far as partnerships, but also really curate the creator list that you have and the types of people that you're bringing onto the roster. Um, you know, for you making that switch, I, I'm always curious for brands what it takes to work with someone like you, someone like a style hall, right? So if if I'm listening to this and, and I have a brand, we're in the women's lifestyle space or fashion space, et cetera, um, it, are there size requirements? What's it like to work with an MCN? Yeah, so I think it'll depend on each each MCN, each company, and obviously what, what your goals are. And and I think it is our job uh, and the job of companies like ours to be able to have products and services and, and campaign opportunities for um, brands of all sizes, just like we have opportunities for creators of all sizes. We, we of course, do work with some of the largest beauty and fashion influencers on the platform, um, but we also, and, and by platform there, I mean YouTube, but we also have, you know, we, we also work with folks who are, who are pretty small and just getting their career going. So I think we should learn and improve as much we can as we can to, to offer that same variation of, of services to advertisers too. So, you know, it, we don't need folks to come to us with a, a million dollar budget to create a huge splashy YouTube campaign. We can always offer um, test campaigns or, um, or campaigns of all sizes, depending on what what brands are, are interested in. And even though you and I talked a little bit ago about how big video is, 
Um, we're also, as you know, other MCNs are as well, exp- expanding into platforms outside of YouTube too. Um, and so we have relationships not only with YouTubers, but but creators, content creators, and influencers who are big on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. Uh, so if a brand is a little squeamish about video or or kind of wants something a little more a little more focused or small, we, we can do stuff on just Twitter or just Instagram if they want to. So it's interesting that you guys are, are you're saying you have all sizes, so big creators all the way down. Are you, do you as a company vet in some way the smaller creators saying, hey, we hope this is someone who we can nurture and help become one of these larger YouTubers? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, as I mentioned before, kind of our, our business model is we take a percentage of their ad revenue and in exchange we we give them tools and services to to be able to help them and to make it worth their while. And and we definitely think about that when we are recruiting or or, or trying to, to get new folks to come work with us. If we don't think that we can provide value to them, um, it doesn't make sense for us. It certainly doesn't make sense for them. No. Um, and so we definitely want folks who we think have a, have a bright a bright future and um, and that can and that bright future can take a, a bunch of different forms. So not every influencer, not every content creator um, is going to make sense for brands or is interested in working with brands. But Style Hall, we also produce original content. We we had a series on YouTube last year. We also had a series on Verizon's Go ninety platform last year. Um, and so, again, not everybody needs to be brand friendly. Um, there are a lot of ways that, that we can we can work together. Nice. And so you're talking um, a few times we've mentioned the, the ad revenues that, that you guys share. But um, if we can take a step back and you can give us like a little bit of the ad 101, what are my options you know, as a creator, even as a brand? Like what are all the ways that you can advertise around a YouTube video or in a YouTube video? Yeah, so – you know, thinking about this, I think there are two main sort of distinctions between or two main types of advertising. Um, and the big one and the sort of sexy one and the one that tends to get a lot of attention and, and glitz and glamour are sort of the um, – there are a lot of names for these, but it's kind of the native advertising. It's the uh, – what we call custom content or branded content. Um, yeah, where the, where the brand's showing up in the video. Right? Exactly. And it's sort of – uh, supposed to make su- supposed to be more palatable to users, right? Nobody likes ads. We kind of all acknowledge that. Um, but big advertisers, big brands, big companies still want their products showing up in in the world. And so, you know, that could be a creator of ours doing a, a makeup tutorial for prom, let's say, and and the video is sponsored by a company like Sephora. And it's clearly um, disclosed as an ad. Um, you know, we're, we're not trying to pull one over on anyone, but um, you know that is, that's one oppor- one example. So again, a creator is like, "Hey, today I'm going to be using uh, the new product line from Sephora to talk about how to do my my prom makeup or hair look." And Sephora has paid for that, and um, it's meant to kind of be integrated into into that creator's normal cadence of videos um, made to feel and look like any other video they would make that that's not sponsored. And obviously the, the goal there is for, you know, the fans to be like, oh, wow, that's really cool. 
I didn't know I could do that with the new Sephora stuff. Maybe I should check that out. Or I didn't know Sephora had new stuff. Or yeah. I didn't know Sephora had new stuff. And, and uh, you know, sometimes through those partnerships, there's discount codes and, and custom yeah, like a million uh, other products. Ways you can like incentivize. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's like the main thing. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in just videos. It can be in, as we mentioned earlier, it can be in Twitter posts. It can be in Instagram posts. Here's my before and after on Instagram with this new makeup line. Um, so that kind of, all of that falls into the, like the first bucket of kind of custom content or, or native advertising. And, you know, we're really lucky that a lot of, it, uh, you know, advertisers are interested in that and, and adventurous when it comes to that. But we also realize that it's not for everybody. And, you know, some companies, a lot of companies put a lot of time and effort into creating their own content, right? Um, you know, Nike, for example, has many creative agencies, many uh, photographers, many, um, many cooks in the kitchen to create really cool high production value stuff. And they want to get that stuff into the marketplace. They don't want some, uh, you know, 21-year-old in her bedroom uh, talking about her Nikes. Um, and so for those kind of advertisers, that kind of leads into the second type of advertising, which is sort of the world that that I s- frequent uh, most often in, in my job is sort of the more traditional advertising. And that's kind of the, the video pre-roll ads on, on YouTube. So, you know, when you go to a YouTube video, usually you have to sit through an ad. And most times those ads are created by the brands um, and, and sold by companies like ours. Um, to make sure that that those advertisers' uh, videos are are being sort of put in the right place, um, because you know that makes most sense for everybody. So, question from a curious YouTuber myself: Do you have to pay more for someone to watch your entire ad versus the skip after five seconds button coming up, or what's the difference between those types of ads? Because I love it when I can skip after five seconds. Sure, that's a good that's a good question, uh, and that's right in my wheelhouse. So, yeah. <laughs> so thank you for giving Cheated me cheated up. <laughs> Um, so those skippable ads uh, on YouTube, the interesting thing about those is, for the most part, uh, the advertiser for those skippable ads does not pay unless the user watches for 30 seconds or more. Interesting. and But they pay higher, I guess, uh, per like, Yeah, per, yeah. On, a, on a per impression basis, basically on a per every time the ad loads basis, it does tend to be a little bit more expensive. Um, but they, they get the... The reassurance that they're only paying for users who watch a good percentage, of or it. or users who accidentally walked away from the screen once they loaded the yeah, or or opened a new tab, or switched over to their email, stuff like that. Yeah. But um, but it's good for advertisers who you know, understandably, they don't want to pay for people who are just um, you know, muting or trying muting. to blast through their ad or, or or whatever. Yep. And so, what would be the motivation? Of doing of making you watch a full, I guess, because other other pre roll can be up to a minute sometimes. So um, the, yeah, so the non skippable stuff typically has a time limit of thirty seconds. Yeah, and they're just and they're trying to and and they're just trying to maximize impressions. I would assume, which is something I'm always I'm curious about when you look between, you know, comparing these two types of ads you brought up, native versus then the more traditional. One of the things I always talk about it to our brands when we talk influencers, like the cost of impressions, right, versus the quality. And there's somewhere, there's somewhere in there where the impressions that you could pay for um, pre-roll 
are equal to the impressions the video uh, successful YouTube video would get. Like let's say someone gets 200,000 views on their video and you would have paid for 200,000 impressions up front. That's where there's like, I, I feel like there's a debate between which one of those is more effective. And, and normally you would say, well, the native, the native advertising is more effective. But we've seen more and more the cost go up on the cost go up on the use of influencers and the use of native advertising as there's which is and I sorry I'm sorry to go on a tangent here there's more brands who want to do it but the cost is going up so the, the that demand's going up but so is the supply of YouTubers so I'm I'm always curious to if we feel like that like when you decide between the two, right? So that's a long way to get to my question of how do you decide which kind to do? And does it depend on if you're trying to hit a home run with a small budget or if you like are, you know, if you have a mid-sized budget, should you split it? Like how do you make that decision? Yeah, and, and every advertiser thinks about it differently. And I think there's a couple things to think about there. The first thing, and I think the big thing, which maybe your question touches on is, um, is an advertiser using influencers as merely the creation of content or also the distribution of content? Um, because in a lot of cases, you can hire an influencer to create a piece of content, uh, and then the brand will will take that video or that image, and then they'll use their own platforms to to get that uh, get that message seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's actually a, a pretty good example of of how those two things can work together. But obviously a lot of times advertisers are, are wanting to work with influencers because they have their own distribution platforms, whether that is their Instagram account that's seen by 700,000 people or their Twitter account, which has 40,000 followers. And so it, as you touched on, not every impression is created equal. Um, and the nice thing about sort of the the quote-unquote traditional digital advertising is you can do it at any budget for the most part. You don't really need to think about how big is that influencer. You can get a small influencer to create something really cool and then buy 100 million impressions of it, even if that influencer is is quite small and has a small audience. Um, I don't think I really answered your question. No, but I mean, I, I, I agree. Like, I think it, it depends. In best the cases, they're, yeah. they're, they're done together. Yeah. Um, and the only other thing I'll mention as it relates to that is, um, you know, a lot of these campaigns and the reason why our industry is really exciting and interesting is we kind of compete sort of with a lot of different industries. Um, so if we're in the content creation business, we're maybe sort of encroaching on the creative agency world, you know, the the McCann's of the world or the the gray advertising, you know, areas of the world where they're doing big uh, big shoots, big budgets, and all they do is just create a 30-second ad, right? And then they're kind of done with it and they hand it off to the, to the advertiser to do whatever they want with it. Um, but we also have ad inventory that we can sell. And in those cases, we're kind of encroaching or, or competing with the BuzzFeeds of the world or the IGNs of the world or the Refinery29s of the world. And so the reason why I mention all of that is because there's a lot of players involved in the buying and selling of, of advertising, whether it's a media agency, whether it's brand direct, and, and sometimes some of those folks who, who have the check writing capabilities, at the end of the day, they're really trying to hit an impression goal uh, for a very specific budget. Mm-hmm. And for those folks, you know, if you're, you know, the most likely scenario there is if you're working with a media agency, 
um, you know, Group M, kind of the collection of companies at Group M being one of the biggest, a lot of times they're they're mostly focused on efficiency. Mm-hmm. And so they want the best price they can. And the highest click-through rate. Highest click-through rate. And they're like not super concerned with what's happening on the back end for you. Yeah. Yeah. And so for those folks, and we work with plenty of media agencies, we have great working relationships with those media agencies, but sometimes they care about the cheapest impression possible. And so we have that for them. Yeah. I mean, it's it's such an interesting world. And really, on if we look at the back end of uh, like the Google Analytics of a bunch of clients that we've worked with, YouTube clicks are the most likely to shop out of any social visit. So you are the most likely to add something to cart if you came from YouTube over Instagram, over Twitter, over Facebook. Um, that being said, getting someone to come from YouTube, like at the end of the day, it, it it's the highest barrier to entry for a platform. And we just spent the beginning of this conversation talking about how, you know, it's so easy for everyone to shoot video now. It, it's you know, it's it's still easier to shoot images or it's still easier to shoot, you know, um, to, to go live now. We talk about it on, on something else. So it's such a, um, it's such, and I want, I want to use a better word than interesting, it's a, almost a complicated part of the marketing mix where it can do so well for you, but you need to figure out how to put your toe in the water in the right way. Um, so I wanted to ask you how you've seen how you've seen YouTube change over the past, you know, six years work Cause obviously it's gone from, it's gone from big to bigger. It was big six years ago. Um, but it's now so it's so ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's, you know, every video is the main place things are getting uploaded. So for you, like what are the main shifts that's gone through? I mean, from an insider's perspective. Yeah. So I think they have done some, some big shifts in a, in a bunch of areas, um, you know, on the one hand, when it comes to sort of a algorithm perspective, you know, YouTube will will really emphasize watch time now more than views. Mm-hmm. So five years ago, if you got a bunch of views to your video, you were more likely to get your video found. Um, but now uh, YouTube is is favoring watch time because they want people to stay on YouTube for as long as possible. So the result of that is that people are making longer videos now. Um, it's not uncommon now to see 10, 15, 20 half hour videos on YouTube. So they're really kind of getting away from kind of the, the snackable two to three minute videos. Obviously those still exist, but from an algorithm perspective, longer videos are now more popular. Um, obviously with better cameras, um, better production tools, you know, the new iPhone with image stabilization on the 7 Plus and 6S Plus. Higher production value obviously is big on YouTube. Um, across the board, people are now just more savvy. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, it was not too hard to to stand out if from a if you were an influencer and you did just a couple key things right. It was easy to sort of game the system and, and, and get your views seen more easily. Uh, now everyone is pretty savvy. And we see that every day because even even folks who have you know five thousand Instagram uh, excuse me five thousand YouTube subscribers which would be huge for you or I I think I have about five subscribers to my channel <laughs> but in the grand scheme of things five thousand subscribers is is not that much and probably frankly isn't that much to get to get recognized by a brand but even folks of that size are, are really savvy and they know the the terminology they know the SEO best practices so it's definitely just signs of maturation of a platform. It's changing every day. There was a, a hubbub a few months ago or a few weeks ago, actually, um, with 
you know, people speculating that YouTube made another change on the back end, which was causing some of the huge, huge channels on YouTube to see their views drop by 20 to 30%. Um, you know, YouTube is is going to continue changing things up, and mm-hmm. I'm excited to see what happens next. Yeah. Have you seen a difference in the in what content's effective in that time, or has it has it still been that people are really drawn towards the honesty and and I guess the organic feel of it? Yeah, I mean, I think the key word that that everyone always mentions, which is still important, which is authenticity. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what people still want to see. Uh, you know, on the one hand, with the Amazons and the Netflixes and the Go Nineties of the world, there's more great, high production value, high quality scripted stuff out there more than ever. Um, you know, people always say, that, you know, now is like the golden era of television. Um, so on the one end of the spectrum, you have like really awesome, high quality content. Um, and people have enough of that um, to last, you know, 20 lifetimes. Um, but the result of that is that there's still a huge appetite for that more raw, um, but still like, high quality, but, but more raw, more authentic, um, good stuff on YouTube. Um, you know, one of the big, one of the big, uh, topics or one of the big content types right now is, um, is toy unboxing videos Mm, are huge right now. Uh, those are some of the biggest, uh, videos on the platform. Music obviously is, is still huge, always will be huge on, on YouTube. Um, but, but yeah, to answer your question, like authenticity and, vlogging is is still huge yeah and and like you said the authenticity isn't even in the uh, there's an expectation that the content's slick now and high quality but still that the personality behind the camera or in front of the camera as you say is like the most the most important thing but you have so many i feel like you have so many great people and also it it really lets some of the people who are like the cream of the crop rise because you because it's it's who you are that's making it not just like you were saying hey you could kind of game the system which no one that's less exciting to see that succeed yeah and it's really cool that you know despite the fact that some of these folks are making uh, literally millions of dollars a year um, it would be easy to think that um, you know Hollywood you know the Hollywoodization would would creep in but we're still seeing some of our biggest influencers are kind of vloggers and lifestyle folks who are who are sharing really raw uh, really raw stuff every day so um, despite the maturation and the improved production quality like people are still bearing their souls and you often see videos of you know people tackling really tough delicate subjects in in detail and with nuance, um, you know, coming out videos mm-hmm. or um, domestic violence videos or, and I'm not sort of saying that from like a business perspective. It's just awesome to see that these, that folks are, are talking about these really serious issues um, on these, on these platforms. Yeah, man, totally agree. Um, re- really cool to see authenticity in any way, but especially uh, if it's helping people, uh, you know, deal with that or I, I mean, have like that catharsis that they need. Um, we really appreciate the time. Thanks for coming out. We got one more question for you. Uh, we'll, we'll move away from YouTube for now. Um, what are the 2017 resolutions that you have? And I want to know if they've already been broken or not. Sure. So I'm not unique here. I think I have a lot of the same resolutions that everyone else has, like eat better, read more, travel more, drink less. Uh, I don't have anything too unique. Uh, I do definitely, I had pretty ambitious goals of reading last year and I didn't quite get them, uh, in terms of reading a certain number of books. So I'm, I'm trying to get that for this year. Uh, travel more. I'd say that's the biggest one. Yeah. 
I was just in Iceland at the end of last year. So ended 2016 on a high note. Want to continue that for, for 2017. Yeah, I feel you on the – I think every year health is mine. And I know it's like so cliche, but I think you really feel it because like the 30-whatever days from Thanksgiving through the end of the year, you just feel like trash. You wake up January 1st and you are like – you're like, I have to be healthier. And really, it's just a response to those days rather than maybe it's maybe my resolution should just be to recover and feel better from those days and then just whatever. It's like, then, then it's free for all, but at least just for have, th- 30 days, treat your liver right. Just have a good January. Yeah. Good. So, good January. That's my, that's my resolution. That's why you see all those people doing dry January. Yeah. I think I'm it's a, just recovering from December. I'm on a dry two weeks. We get, I, I can't do an entire month. Uh, I got things I got to deal with in my life, but <laughs> I, I can do at least two weeks off of it. Um, well, man, can you, what are the handles? Where can we find you? Where can we find Style Hall so people can, so people can reach out? Sure. So, uh, from a work perspective, you can just visit us at stylehall.com. That's spelled S T Y L E. H-A-U-L, stylehall.com, and we're on Snapchat and Instagram and Twitter, but our, but our website is stylehall.com. Uh, you can find me at uh, drewshannon.net, D-R-E-W-S-H-A-N-N-O-N. And for my website, you can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, all of the above. I'm, I'm at Drew Shannon at most places. All right, man. Well, thanks for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it, and uh, I can't wait to listen to this. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Please check out the Shapeshift Report at shapeshiftreport.co and also all of our handles, we are Shapeshift Report.